I'm going to start the recording there. Now, the world has a solution to anxiety. The world says, hey, you need to medicate it because this will stop it. Now, the reality is God's word doesn't talk about medical issues, but God's word talks about our thoughts and talks about our thinking and talks about anxiety. And God's word gives us, as believers, the solution to the battle that we have on a daily basis with worry. Well, we've been studying the book of Nehemiah, and in the book of Nehemiah, we've come to a portion where Satan's cohorts through his his willing uh, uh, feet on this earth, those who are not in the Lord's domain but in Satan's, um, tried to frighten uh, Nehemiah with fear, tried to cause him to be fearful and to give up on the work. Now, we know Satan will do that, and we know as believers we have all these different things to worry about, but we also get tempted in the midst of serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And so today I thought we'd take a little detour and look at a passage that talks very specifically about how, what we are to do about worry. Turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to see what God has to say, not what Greg has to say, but what God has to say about anxiety. And so with that in mind, uh, we're going to see how we as believers can win the battle, in a sense, be victorious, in a sense, over uh, worry. We're also going to see that worry and faith are uh, opposed to one another. That if you are trusting the Lord, you're not going to be worrying. If you're worrying, you're not trusting the Lord. And that this issue goes very deep for the life of a true believer. Therefore, we need to understand what Scripture says. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7. Now let me share some of the context here. The Apostle Paul is writing to the saints in Christ Jesus who were in Philippi. He is writing to believers from Rome. He is in prison for preaching the gospel. He is under house arrest, chained 24-7. And here uh, within this, he writes these prison epistles, Colossians, Philippians, Ephesians, Philemon, most likely written around 62 AD. Now the Philippian church knows the Apostle Paul well, and the Apostle Paul knows them well. They are very close to one another. And in chapter 1, he has already prayed for them and has shared his love for the Philippians, uh, and he is thankful for God's past work in them and also absolutely certain that he will complete the work that he has begun. He has shared his circumstances, that he is in prison, but the gospel wasn't. He has shared his attitude that to live is Christ and to die is gain. He has shared his understanding that in everything, whether in life or death, uh, his desire was for Christ to be magnified. And then we see him then pointing to address the attitudes of the Philippians, that they were to be united, they were to be humble, they were to be like Jesus Christ and have the mind of Christ. And with that humility, they're given the perfect example of humility, which is Christ, who humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him and gave him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every uh, knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord to the glory of the Father. And in light of the fact that Christ is Lord of all, 
We are to obey him, obediently work out our salvation with fear and trembling because he is at work in us. And therefore, we are not to complain or argue, as we say. Then the Apostle Paul gave in chapter 2 three selfless examples of humility. Those who were working out their salvation and obedience. One, he gave himself. Second, it was Timothy and then Epaphroditus. Then in chapter 3, we see that we would face opposition. We would face opposition by those uh, make-believers out there, false brethren who ultimately worship in the flesh, glory in self, and rely on their own flesh. And then we were commanded and motivated to imitate the Apostle Paul, to have the all-consuming desire to know Christ, to press on to the upward goal, the upward call, becoming like Christ Jesus, knowing that we are not like the many, that we are not those who set our minds on earthly things, but we have a heavenly citizenship. And therefore, we need to press forward looking for Christ in this upward call. Then he summed up these truths in chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy, my crown, so stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Stand firm. We got a battle going on. We got all kinds of stuff going on. We got all kinds of attacks on our faith. We have them internally, externally. We have Satan. We have attacks on trusting Jesus. And then the Apostle Paul, at this point, after sharing that they should stand firm, directed an exhortation to Judea and Syndicate who were at odds with one another to be same-minded, to let the, the mind of Christ, the word of God, control that they would be harmonious in the Lord and that the body was to come alongside them and help them, those who had served the Lord. You know, Satan wants to sidetrack those who are truly following the Lord and have served him. And we need to yield our hearts and minds to what God has said in his word so that we would be harmonious and we need to help one another out in that. And then after this direct exhortation to Judea and Syndicate, he comes to address one of the most severe threats to our faith in Jesus Christ, which is worry, which is anxiety. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, we'll start. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, as I read this, you probably could have said this from your memory. We know this truth. We have heard this over and over again. But the question is, will we apply it by the Spirit of God in the moments that we are tempted to be anxious? So today, we're going to see how we can stop worrying. And there may be some of you out there that are, that are caught up in worrying. Maybe today you got caught up in worry. You know, every day we are tempted to worry. And if you say you're not, I don't know if you're telling the truth. The Lord knows. We're tempted in every area. We're tempted to worry about our relationships. We're tempted to worry about finances. We're tempted to worry about the church. We're tempted to worry about the future. We're tempted to worry about wars and rumors of wars. We're tempted to worry. And often we yield to this. We're tempted to worry about our physical conditions, our doctor's appointments, whatever it might be. We're tempted to worry. We're tempted to worry about money. 
about money. And we as believers, we certainly can succumb to it. But we can have victory over it if we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. If we allow God to work in us as we fear him and revere him and apply his word to our lives. And notice, first of all, how we can stop worrying. We need to be continually rejoicing in the Lord, which I believe we're going to see that that only happens when we look at who he is and what he's done for us. And if we're not looking at what Jesus, who he is, and what he's done for us, we're going to be worrying about stuff. But when we look at what he's done for us, we're going to be praising him and thanking him and rejoicing over what he has done. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Sounds like a song, doesn't it, right? It is. Rejoice in the Lord always. And so here we have a present imperative command to you all, Philippians, and to all of us. Rejoice in the Lord always. Now I can say for myself and certainly for many, and maybe you, that we don't always do this, do we? We don't always rejoice in the Lord. And we don't, we don't do it always, certainly. But we are commanded to do so. And I believe if we are unjoyful Christians if we are self-focused and upset, that we are way more vulnerable to temptation and to worry. And therefore, all of us, myself and all of us, need to take these commands to heart and obey them by his power and strength. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. We're to be rejoicing. We're to be rejoicing in the Lord. And very clearly here, um, this flows from what we've just seen, that we're to stand firm in the Lord and we're to not let conflict get in the way. And we're to trust the Lord and thus keep on, literally keep on rejoicing in the Lord. You say, how can I keep rejoicing? I don't feel like rejoicing. I've got all these worries. (laughs) How can I rejoice when all this stuff is going on? Well, the key here is, as you will see here, is we are to rejoice in the Lord. It is in the context and sphere of a relationship with the Lord and in the Lord. We're to rejoice in the Lord. Now, who is the Lord? We saw who he was back in chapter 2, verse 5. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Rejoice in the Lord. The Lord is Jesus Christ. Rejoice in the Lord. It is Jesus Christ. Now, are we commanded to rejoice in our circumstances? 
No, but we can count it joy, James chapter 1. We can reckon because of the character of God and what he is doing through those circumstances that we can be joyful. We can count it joy. But here we are to rejoice in the Lord always. Now, how is it we can do this? What is biblical joy? I read it earlier, but uh, turn to Psalm 32. Psalm 32. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man who the Lord does not impute iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. And then David's going to talk about when he was silent about his sin, how God's disciplinary hand was heavy, but he confessed. And then look down, verse 10. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. We should be praising God for what he has done for us through the forgiveness of sins. When we lose sight of that, we're not going to rejoice. And he goes on here. Be glad in the Lord, rejoice, the righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. And then back in Psalm 16, I'll read this for you, verse 11. In thy presence is fullness of joy. You know, in God's presence, there is complete fullness of joy. We're going to see this in Nehemiah chapter 8.10. Nehemiah is going to encourage uh, those who are working to let the joy of the Lord be their strength. Let the joy that you have when you look at who God is and what he has done for you strengthen you. Let it strengthen you. Psalm 5, verse 11, But let all who take refuge in thee be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. It has to do with him. We're running to him. When David messed up, he said, Restore to me the joy of thy salvation. There's joy. When someone gets saved, they don't go, Oh, okay, I got saved. Wonderful thing. They are so thankful. Thank you. Praise God. You saved me from my sin. I'm such a wretched sinner. I was lost. Now I'm saved. Thank you. There's joy. There's joy. Psalm 71, verse 23. My lips will shout for joy. I will sing praises to thee and my soul, which thou hast redeemed. You see, you're going to be a reward if you are not thinking about what Christ has done for you. If you are not rejoicing in what Christ has done for you. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I will say, rejoice. Psalm 95, verse 1, O come and let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. You know, we shouldn't be the frozen chosen. We should be praising God and so thankful when we're singing together. Our hearts should be bubbling over with joy as we, as we, as we praise God together. One pastor writes, now and again, now he again refers to that which is upon his heart. He would have the saints always rejoicing in the Lord, and joy, as we will see, and holiness are inseparable. A holy Christian is able to rejoice even when passing through the deepest afflictions, but a believer who through unwatchfulness has permitted himself to fall into unholy ways loses immediately the joy of the Lord which is the strength of those who walk in communion with him. Folks, if you've lost your joy, sin has crept in. 
sin has crept in. Remember what Jesus has done for you. Keep your eyes focused on him. Rejoice in the forgiveness of sins. And if you have sinned, confess and rejoice in being forgiven right then. Praise the Lord, he forgives us. Think about that. A God who forgives. Is that amazing? It's amazing. We serve the most awesome God. So then rejoice in the Lord. Uh, Even back in chapter 3, verse 1, the Apostle Paul would say, rejoice in the Lord. And now he says it in chapter 4, verse 1. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. And literally he's saying, keep on rejoicing, because you are rejoicing, right? If you're a true believer, you have rejoiced at some time. Keep on rejoicing in the Lord. Are you joyful? You might say, no, I'm not joyful. I'm suffering physically. No, I'm not joyful. We're out of money. No, I'm not joyful. I'm having trouble in relationships. No, I'm not. No, well, are you joyful? Those things will get worked out if you focus on Jesus Christ, if you focus on him. And God will give you joy as he is working out those things, as he works those things out. So then, first of all, we need to rejoice in the Lord. You want to get over anxiety? Then start praising and rejoicing in your God and Savior for what he has done for you. Start that. If you're not doing that, forget the verse you've memorized, which we're going to look at. You could say it all day long, be anxious for nothing, but in everything you pray, supplication, with thanksgiving, love, and Christ, we want to God. You could say it all day long. But if you're not rejoicing in the Lord because of what he has done for you, rejoice always. Forget the rest. So here we see the first thing we need to do is be praising God, rejoicing in him. Secondly, and then that means that takes time. That takes focus, right? It takes focus. Secondly, we need to rest in the Lord. We're going to see it's all about rejoicing in him and resting in him. Focusing on who he is, what he's done, and praising him for it, and thanking him and being joyful in that, and then resting in him. Resting in him. We're going to see that. And we see that resting has to do with one thing, yielding, knowing he's near, and then giving over anxiety and exchanging that for prayer. Notice what he says in verse 5. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and minds of Christ Jesus. Two commands that if we, by the Spirit of God, obey, we were going to find peace in the Lord. And that's assuming that you're rejoicing in him, okay? So the first one here is we need to yield ourselves over because we get so strung up and out by uh, what's going on around us that we have to defend ourselves or, or reconcile it or make things right, whatever it might be. We, we, we're so caught up. But here he says, let your forbearing spirit be made known to all men. The Lord is near. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? The term for bearing spirit translated gentleness, and in the King James, King, King James, it's King King James, not jeans, right? <laughs> that was a those are new pants at the store, right? So we have here uh, in the King James, New King James, your forbearance. Now this word, uh, the the New American Standard puts spirit in there in italics because they're trying to say, hey, we can't get this over from Greek to English with, without adding some words because it just doesn't go over equally. That's a translation issue. Now this term, uh, translated forbearance, speaks of gentleness or a gentle yielding. A yielding, a yielding of one's personal 
writes. He says here, let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. Now, it's a gentleness that only is found in Christ. 2 Corinthians 10.1, I, Paul, now I'm Paul, urge you by the meekness and yieldingness, gentle yieldingness of Christ, meekness, gentle yielding. We know that God's word, the wisdom from above, James 3.17, is first uh, pure, then peaceable, then gentle. It's, it's reasonable. It's, it's yield. It's reasonable. It's gracious. So he says, let your forebrain spirit be known to all men. They say, wait a second. Am I to go out and say, hi, I'm Mr. Forbearing. I want you to know about me, right? And it, that's not what it is. It sounds like being private. Let it be known to them. Well, actually, what helps us here is that the, the verb be known is in the passive voice. And this uh, be known means to be manifested. Let it be manifested. Allow something to happen. Allow your forbearing spirit to be manifest. And why so? Here's the key. The Lord is near. You see, if I recognize the Lord is near, then I don't have to fight for my rights because he's going to take care of me. I can go to him. I don't have to fight over the situation. The Lord is near. Now, the term near here means uh, something like uh, is at hand. The Lord is at hand. It's translated, uh, the word is near you. It is in your mouth. It's close. It's at hand, Romans 10, 8. Uh, salvation is near or at hand to us than when we believe, Romans 13, 11. Uh, Christ, uh, now you're in Christ Jesus, for formerly far off and now have been brought near, Ephesians 2, 13. It's at hand, brought near. Well, what does it mean here? Does it mean his coming is at hand? Oh, certainly, it's, he is coming. And when he comes, he will make everything right. I can rest in that. But he is also personally near. He will never leave us nor forsake us. And if I recognize that, it changes the way I deal with circumstances in my life. I can rest because often I don't rest because I've got to take care of whatever's happening around me because I don't believe the Lord is near, practically speaking. I need to trust he's near He's watching over me. He's taking care of me. He's going to deal with this situation. He's going to work it out for good. For good. i got to believe that, you see? The Lord is near. And when we trust him like that, then we will be a testimony to all. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all. You're going to be different around them because you're not having to, to defend yourself in that sense, Right? We all know that. We've all failed in that. We've, we've probably defended ourselves and we were truly wronged. But we weren't gently trusting in Christ knowing that he would work it out. He would work it out. Isaiah fifty four seventeen. No weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue that accuses you in judgment you will condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. Did you notice how the Lord Jesus went through his trials? He did it perfectly, righteously, right? The Lord is near. Isaiah 41.10, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about, for I am your God. He says here, I will strengthen you. I will surely help you. Surely I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. That is a tremendous, amazing promise. That changes the way I'm going to respond if I'm thinking about it. He's near. The circumstance is not working out right. But he's here. 
He's near. I'm going to trust him. And that's going to make me passively reveal a forbearing spirit. You see? When I trust that he's near, he's going to work it out. If God is for you, who could be against you? Right? God is so good. So let it be manifest to all because Jesus Christ is near. He's near. And I think we can all think of times where we failed, where we need to go, Lord, I did, did not believe that in the moment. I did not think of that in the moment. And I acted the wrong way. And it certainly wasn't a forbearing spirit coming out of me. Lord, forgive me. Right? And God's good. We're growing. We're being changed. We're being, uh, we're being conformed to the image of Christ. And that upward, wonderful call. So then the command, let this be manifest to all because Jesus Christ is near. So then we need to be rejoicing about everything. And we need to be resting. First of all, resting because God is near. He's going to take care of every circumstance I'm going through. I can back off. I can trust him. I can relax and I can just yield over the desire to have to make it right in a moment. I can give it over to the Lord. doesn't mean we don't do the right thing. Yes, we need to make things right at times, and we need to do the right thing. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying in trusting the Lord. Well, notice, not only are we to uh, rejoice in the Lord and rest in Him, we're also to rest in Him in that we trust Him. Look at verse uh, 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving make your request known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Contrary to the current view in many places and churches even, and maybe even some of the hearts out listening, worry is a serious sin. And it has serious consequences. And God is a gracious God. He knows we're tempted. He knows you're tempted. He wants to deliver us from temptation. He wants to help you in that. He wants to come alongside and prove himself to be faithful. If you were willing to let him be, he is faithful. So he tells us what to do. So here he says, be anxious for nothing. Now, we're going to see that at the core of worry is a lack of trust and a doubt of God's goodness, really and practically speaking. We, we, we trust the Lord and we don't doubt he's bad. We think he's good. But practically speaking, in that moment, we're not believing that. You see, when we worry, we cannot trust. When we worry, we cannot be joyful. When we worry, we can't worship. When we worry, we have no peace. Worry is a cruel taskmaster. It's a cruel taskmaster. If you today are caught up in worry, I can tell you, you are having no fun. It is a horrible thing. And you may think that it is only you and no one knows what you're going through. But the God, the God, the God says in his word that no temptation has come upon you except that which is common to man. But God is faithful, the key part, and will provide a way of escape that you may endure it. The way of escape is through obeying his word and trusting Jesus, as we're going to see. This is a clear way of escape, by the way. Clear way of escape. So then... Notice what he says. God is gracious. God is kind. He looks out for our best interests. And maybe you failed, but God has not given up on you. He loves you. He wants you to learn. He wants you to grow. He wants to help you. He wants to help you. 
If you leave here today with a guilt trip uh, and not allow yourself to be corrected by a gracious God through his word, then something's very wrong. Acknowledge your worry. Acknowledge your sin. Call it what it is. Lord, I've been worried about finances. I've been worried about medical appointments. I've been worried about my medical condition. I've been worried about uh, the church. I've been worried about my relationships. I've been worried about work. I've been worried about my dog or whatever it might be. Just confess, Lord God, I'm sorry. It's sin. It's sin. Admit it. And God will forgive you and he'll help you. He loves you. He'll help you. He'll help me. So notice in our passage, he says, first of all, be anxious for nothing. This is a great statement. This is a great statement. Be anxious for nothing. Literally, for nothing, be anxious. There's not one thing you are to be anxious about. Wow. Not one thing. Not one thing. But we know worry is a strong emotion. Our emotions take control of us very quickly. It affects our minds, and it will affect you physically. When you worry over and over again, you are sowing to the flesh. And you will reap from the flesh, but God can set you free. But you're going to have some reaping to do down the line. Sow to the Spirit and you will eventually reap from the Spirit. Be anxious for nothing. Now, in a positive context, this word actually anxious means to care, be concerned, or worry or anxious. There's a positive context. I can have a care that is a godly concern. The Apostle Paul was uh, mentioned that Timothy was the only one who would have a concern for him, a godly concern. It's not worry. It's a godly concern. That's okay. Here, this is speaking about anxiety. And he says, for nothing, be anxious. Well, Can I be anxious about my physical condition? No. Now, here's where it has to be supernatural. Human beings cannot not be anxious, I believe, in this situation. You need a supernatural intervention of the Lord to help you not be anxious. Can I be anxious about my physical condition? No. Can I be anxious about money? No. Can I be anxious about my job? No. Can I be anxious about church? No. Can I be anxious about relationships? No. I'm not allowed to be anxious about anything. God says don't do so, and we're going to see why. Now here, he's not saying that we're to test the Lord thy God and just throw caution to the wind. There are certain things we need to be careful about and cautious about. We have to test the Lord thy God. But as we go around his business, not our own foolishness, we're not to worry about anything because the Lord is near. He's in control. And as we can see, we can go to him in prayer. And we are to go to him in prayer. We're not to worry about anything. And so let me ask you, do you give yourself a pass? You know, we can get tempted, we can fall into it, but we've got to just admit it. This is wrong, Lord, this is wrong. Got to admit it. One pastor says, do you ever find yourself worrying? Do you know that scripture calls worry a sin? When you realize that you were, that you were worrying, did you go to God and confess it as sin? Uh, Worry is just as much sin as adultery, murder, theft. Yet how often do believers treat it lightly when we find our stomachs in knots because we've worried ourselves into a nervous frenzy? We don't realize that we have fallen into sin. It's sin. I read this earlier. Matthew chapter 6. Turn to Matthew chapter 6. And these are about the basics. We worry about so much more since we have all this stuff, by the way. 
Uh, no one can serve two masters, Matthew 6, 24. For either he will hate the one and love the other, for he will, or you hold to one and despise the other. This is Matthew 6, 24 at the end. You cannot serve God and mammon. That term mammon means money. For this reason I say to you, do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat, what you shall drink, nor for the body as to what you shall put on. Is not life more than food, the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? Think about that. God values you because of he created you, and we've been saved by his son Jesus who died for your sins. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Observe the lilies of the, how the lilies of the field grow. They do not tow, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so arrays the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more do so for you, O men of what? Little faith. It's a faith issue when you worry. Okay? It is. Do not be anxious then, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or with what clothes shall we clothe ourselves? For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek, for your heavenly Father knows you need them, all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Folks, God loves us. He cares for us. We're valuable to him. Believe that. Understand that. Believe the truth of the word of God. And trust him. Trust him. You see, we as believers are to worry about nothing. All worry is sin. Yeah, wait a second. I have a chemical imbalance. I do. I think you might have one too. Right? Now, God doesn't say in his word, be anxious for nothing except you who have chemical imbalances. I'm sorry, God addresses this very clearly. This is not a physical issue at its core, although it does affect you physically. You will reap what you sow when you do think. David suffered physically from his sin, by the way, but he acknowledged it. He acknowledged it. And if you have worried for a long time and you have confessed it, you may still have some remaining uh, reaping to do. You just need to go, Lord, I deserve it. I failed, but I praise you that I've been forgiven. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Thank you, Lord. God's word says, be anxious for nothing, no exceptions. No exceptions. If we're worrying, we're sinning, we're not trusting God, that's the issue. Confess our lack of trust, be forgiven, and be restored. Restored. Some of you say, I can't stop. This is completely true if you don't know Christ. But if you do know Christ, he can set you free. If the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. He will set you free if you confess. If you obey him, he will set you free. And then there is the good fight of faith, right? Trusting in him. So notice, he says, be anxious for nothing. But notice there's some qualifications here. 
We're not to worry about anything, but we are to pray about everything. This is key because it has to do with our relationship with the Lord. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, back in Philippians 4, 6, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything be praying, right? Uh, with supplication. The term supplication speaks of a humble petition. It's not demanding God a laundry list of stuff. Dear God, got this list, please take care of it. No, it's a humble submission. Lord God, you are so gracious, you are so kind, you are above all. This, you're, you're, you saved my soul. You are greater than these issues. I trust you, Lord God. Help me. Help me in this area. Notice he says, by prayer and supplication. The term supplication means a humble request. First Peter 5, uh, 6, humble yourselves before the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. And how do I humble myself in this situation? First Peter 5, 7, casting all your cares upon him for he cares for you. He cares for you. He is concerned about what you are worrying about. He cares for you. He cares for you. Cast it over. The term casting your care speaks of throwing a saddle on a horse. You're throwing it on God. How am I doing it? I'm doing it in prayer. Lord God, I am so concerned about this situation. It is hurting me deeply, Lord God. I'm praying, Lord God, please uh, come to my aid. Help me see it rightly. Uh, Lord, I'm giving it over to you. I'm casting it upon you. You need to humbly come before God. Pray humbly. Notice what he says. There's another qualification with thanksgiving. Thank you, Lord. I know that you can take care of it. I know that you're greater than this. Thank you for sending your son to die for my sins. Thank you that you will work all things together for good. I'm going to bring my request before you. This issue is concerning me greatly, Lord God, and I'm so tempted to worry. Lord, I'm just laying it before you. Please help me in this. Help me do the right thing. Help me respond the right way. I pray for this other person. They're, they're sinning against me. Please help them, Lord Jesus. I pray for this circumstance, Lord God. Whatever it might be. Whatever it might be. He says here, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. Lord God, please help me. Help me in this area. Whatever it might be. You know, it's God's will for us to give thanks in everything. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. First Thessalonians chapter 5. And thankfulness is an evidence of walking in the Spirit, Ephesians chapter 5. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God. Thank you, Lord, for the doctors. I've got an appointment coming. I'm concerned about it, Lord. i put it in your hands. Thank you for your watching over me. Thank you for this circumstance at work, Lord, that you're going to take care of it the way you want to. But help me, Lord God. Help me respond rightly. Help me do the right thing. Whatever it might be, thank you, Lord Jesus. You see, a lack of thankfulness is an evidence that you are not walking with the Lord, and if you don't know the Lord, it's the way you are. Romans chapter 1. But we need to be thankful for what God has done. Psalm 100, a psalm of thanksgiving. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord himself is God, and he 
It's he who has made us and not ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Thank you, Lord God, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord God, for making me whole. Thank you. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God, that you have it all under control. Thank you that your ways are above my ways. Thank you for what you've done and what you will do. And I bring this request before you, Lord God. It is burdening my heart. I'm going to put it in your hands, Lord God, over and over again. With thanksgiving, we're to make our request known. You say, doesn't God know our requests? Well, yeah, he knows before we ask, Matthew 6, 8. But when we make our requests known to him, we're exhibiting uh, dependence on him. We're showing that we trust him in action with our requests. You know, the eyes of the Lord look to and fro that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. You give it over to him. Lord, I am so tempted in this area. It is so overwhelming me, but I'm giving it to you, Lord God. I'm asking you to take care of it. Please, please deal with it. Help this person. Help the situation. Help me do this. Help me uh, take care of this. Help me do what I need to do. He looks to and fro that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. So then instead of worrying, we're to pray humbly, requesting, making petitions about everything, making it known to God. What are you worrying about? Give it over to the Lord. Get on your knees and tell the Lord about it. Get on your, Lord, get on your knees and tell the Lord, make your requests. Be thankful for what he's done and share with him. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And then, when you do that, you can trust him that he will fulfill his promise. He will. God has never failed. He never will fail. He keeps his promises. This is a promise that is clear to us. And it's, you know, a lot of promises people take out of context from wherever in the scripture. This one is very clear. And you can bank on it. Notice what he says in verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Wow. If you humbly come before the Lord, this is the context of rejoicing, right? Uh, Come we come before the Lord. It's the context of knowing he's near, letting him take care of stuff. You humbly come before him. You make requests known. His peace, uh, his peace, God's peace, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Peace and a guarded heart. This is a promise. You don't need to worry anymore. Trust the Lord. It's a sin. Confess it. It's God's peace, not man's peace. This is nothing you can conjure up. This is nothing anyone else can do for you. This is God's peace, not man's peace. No meds will give you this peace. No counselor will give you this peace. This is God's peace. Man's ways do not take care of the problem. They medicate the problem. But the problem is still there, festering and getting worse. This is a great promise. When we humbly and thankfully pray about everything rather than worrying, then God's peace will guard our hearts and minds 
in Christ Jesus. And this peace of his, notice what he says here, which surpasses all comprehension. The word comprehension means mind or thinking. You know what? We want to comprehend it in advance. This is the peace that I want and I need. Well, God's peace surpasses. It's hooper below. It's far above how you could think of peace. It's far above it. It surpasses it because it's his peace. It's his peace. It surpasses. Hooper echo it. It literally holds above, surpasses. God's peace is way above what you could think about peace being. God declares that you cannot comprehend this peace which will be given to you when you obey this command by faith. It surpasses comprehension. Praise the Lord for that. Don't figure it out. Uh, just trust the Lord, obey him, and you'll receive his peace. It's an absolute promise. Absolute promise. Now, some of you might be praying, and you know this, and you're not receiving his peace. You're going, what's going on here? Well, I would posit to you that there's still sin in your life that you need to confess. That you're not rejoicing, you're not uh, reconciled, you're not rejoicing, you're not uh, resting, uh, Lord is near. If your life is dirty with sin and you pray all day, day in and out, day in and day out, and no peace comes, cleanse your hearts and your hands, pray rather than worrying, and God will give you his peace. He promises it. And what does this peace do? And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, all comprehension, uh, shall guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus what a fantastic promise. A guarded heart. My heart needs to be guarded. My heart's having trouble. I'm worrying. I'm giving it over. I'm praying. Now I'm handing it over to him. It's going to guard it. It's going to guard it. The term guard here speaks of a garrison of armed soldiers. You see it all running up around your heart. Right? Guard your heart. Guard your heart. God's peace, like a, like a garrison of soldiers, guarding your heart and mind. In Christ Jesus. Folks, we have no excuse to be worrying as believers with these promises, and yet we all are tempted. We know it. We need to know where to go and what to do when we're tempted to worry. We need to trust the Lord and obey it. We need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Let me share some passages that have to do with this, and you'll see how do these have to do with it. Psalm 4 5 Offer sacrifices of righteousness and trust in the Lord. Trust Him. Psalm 37, 5, commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he'll do it. Trust the Lord. Psalm 91, 2, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Trust in the Lord. Psalm 115, verse 9, O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. The Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He'll bless the house of Aaron. He'll bless those who fear the Lord, the small and the great. Trust in the Lord rather than worry. Believe what he said. Psalm 125, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Actually, that's, that's you know that one, Proverbs 3. But Psalm 125, trust in the Lord. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion who cannot be shaken or moved. Then, Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he'll make your path straight. Isaiah 26, verse 4, trust in the Lord forever. 
For in God, the Lord, we have an everlasting rock. But there's a warning when we trust in other things. Don't trust in other things. You won't have any peace. You'll be worrying about it. I guarantee that. If your worry is, is moving you and draw and moving you around, it's going to move you to trust in other things, by the way. Isaiah 31, verse 1. Woe to those who go to Egypt for help, who rely on horses, who trust in chariots, because they are many, and horsemen, because they are very strong, but they do not look to the Holy One of Israel, nor seek the Lord. Sometimes we trust in the solution and people rather than the Lord. Jeremiah 17.5, thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord. Don't do it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. You see, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and minds of Christ Jesus. It's all in the context of our relationship with Jesus. You trust him. You share those things with him humbly. In the, in the context of thankfulness. And his peace will guard your heart and mind. You know, Jesus said, my peace I leave with you, not as the world gives. You want his peace? Obey his word. Trust in Jesus. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. It's really true. So then, I believe scripture's clear. You know, if you seek peace the world's way, uh, the world's type of peace is not going to help you and you will reap the consequences. And some of you may be doing that right now. The world says you need this and this to take care of your imbalances. And God says, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and minds and I am in Christ Jesus. So then what are we to do? Notice, he says, the peace of God, which surpasses confidence, will guard your hearts and minds. But I need to be focused on the Lord. And if I am, something's going to change. Something's going to change in my heart. It's going to be a different attitude. Psalm 40, verse 3, he has put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise of God. Many will see and fear and trust in the Lord. You know, we've had people in our body who've had uh, difficulties with anxiety and things like that, who, who've gone the world's way and have turned and trusted the Lord. It's a battle. It doesn't go away. It's not going to go away till eternity, but God is a good God, and you're now walking with him rather than walking by yourself in the midst of the consequences I just give a warning here for anybody who's thinking I'm going to go throw my medication. I'm not a doctor or a psychologist. Don't do that. Go to your doctor. Go to your doctor. You'll go crazy. But everything we need to do, everything we do needs to be based on God's word in obedience to him. He says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses comprehension, all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee because he trusts in you. He trusts in you. Now some of you might be saying, I can't stop worrying. What do I do? 
I would say examine yourself first to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Maybe you don't know the Lord. You can't get set free from sin unless you trust Jesus Christ. If you trust him, he'll set you free. The sun sets you free, you're free indeed. Now you'll be tempted with it like everyone else, but you will have a venue as we've seen today that you can go to the Lord and he'll set you free. He'll guard your heart and mind. And then for those of us believers, we need to confess when we're tempted and give in to it. We need to confess, acknowledge what it is, and we need to apply God's word and obey it, rejoicing always in the Lord, uh, letting our forbearing spirit be known to all men. He's near. And then instead of worrying, we're praying. We're giving it over to him. And lastly, I want to finish up with this exhortation that Paul gives right after our passage, because everything has to do with where your mind is at. Look at verse uh, 8, back in Philippians 4. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. It's the things of Christ. Instead of worrying, focus your mind on the things of Christ. Set your mind on the things above. These things that are worthy of praise. Oh, what a great God we serve. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, Paul says, practice these things, apply it, do it, and the God of peace shall be with you. Isn't that what we want? You bet it is. Satan's selling his uh, snake oil. And God is telling us clearly how we can have peace. His peace. So the choice is yours today. You heard the truth. If you don't know the Lord, you're going to have problems with worry, and then you're going to die, and then you're going to go to hell. You need Jesus Christ. I would be very concerned right now about what happens after you die. God has declared to all men everywhere that there's a judgment. He's going to judge you through his son Jesus, whom he raised, furnished proof by raising him from the dead. Turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in him. He died for your sins and he rose from the dead and you'll be saved. And for those of us believers, we have a choice. We have a choice. You can continue caught up in sin and, and God will discipline you and you will not be happy. Look at David's testimony. It wasn't a good testimony when he was in sin, by the way. And I guarantee you are having a lot of trouble if you're a warrior and you give in to it. But God, through Christ, can set you free and be free if you're willing to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, to obey him, to trust him. Because he loves you and he cares for you and he wants the best for you. And the best is to walk with him. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much that you will keep us in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon you, who trust in you. Lord, I pray for any non-believer here that they would confess and turn and believe in your son, Jesus. And I pray for those of us who do and will struggle with worry, being tempted every day, that we will remember your word, that we will be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Oh, thank you, Lord that we would make our request known to you and know for a fact that your peace, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Thank you for that. 
Help us to be those who walk in perfect peace because our minds are stayed on thee. Precious name. Amen.